Welcome to Behind the Wings, a new podcast by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum, and we've got a lot to explore. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, and up-close looks at iconic aircraft of the past, present, and future. It's time to go Behind the Wings. Well, it's episode four. We are back and excited to bring you a special episode today. I'm your host, Rick Crandall, and with me is Wings Over the Rockies president and CEO, John Barry. John, what do we got for folks today? Yeah, Rick, this is going to be our first show with two guests, and we're talking drones. Even though I was a fighter pilot, drones are a really exciting topic to explore. And in today's episode, we'll learn about new esports like drone soccer, artificial intelligence, the role of drones in combat and the legal issues that arise from dealing with drones. We also have a video about drone soccer on Wings Over the Rockies YouTube channel. So if you want to see what this sport looks like, be sure to check that out. To start off our podcast, our first guest is Major Kyle Sanders. Kyle's a retired combat pilot and graduate of the Air Force Academy, where he later served as instructor pilot and coach of the intercollegiate flying team. Kyle's a co-founder of the U.S. Drone Soccer, and that's where we'll pick up with the conversation today. And now for a quick announcement about membership at Wings. If you enjoy listening and want to support Behind the Wings in our mission, let me tell you how. Support Wings' mission to educate, inspire, and excite all people about aviation and space endeavors of the past, present, and future. Support Wings' mission by becoming a member for awesome perks like free admission to both locations and free access to other cultural institutions around the world. Join a great community of aerospace fanatics and lifelong learners. Use the code SEASON1 for a 20% discount. Offer valid for new members through the end of October 2022. To learn more, visit wingsmuseum.org membership. And now... Back to the show. Well, everybody, it is great to have you with us for another edition of Behind the Wings, the podcast. John, this is the program that illustrates that you and I have gotten older. <laughs> Especially being a pilot, yep. you know. We start talking about drone soccer. Yeah. You know, you mentioned it to some people when they haven't seen or heard that term. They go, what? Drone soccer? What are you talking about? So, Kyle... Um, I'd like to introduce yourself a bit about your background and how you got started with drones and uh, the kind of the big picture. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. You know, we just got back from producing the first drone race at the World Games 2022 hosted here in the U.S. Uh, just last week. It was very exciting, and uh, we were happy to demonstrate drone soccer there. Also, uh, you know, we've come a long way in a short amount of time. Drones as an educational tool are, are really powerful, uh, but schools face a lot of challenges to adopt them. And uh, the World Air Sports Federation, or FAI, governs all aerial activities from skydiving to ballooning to, to now drones. And um, they uh, announced that drone racing and drone soccer were official sports right before COVID happened. So we're helping them to introduce the activity to North America. And um, we believe that, you know, it's more, a lot more than just a sport or an activity, that this is also a way to engage secondary students in aerospace careers at an earlier age so that uh, once they hit 16, they're ready to engage with some of the great training programs that you offer and that, uh, that are out there for them. 
Yeah, before uh, Rick asks his question, let me just, this is a podcast, so it's hard to, for some people who never heard this. How do you vis- visually describe drone soccer? Yeah, if you've seen Harry Potter, drone soccer can best be described as Quidditch played with drones. Each team has drone soccer balls. They are high-performance racing drones in a spherical cage, a roll cage. And they use that to bump and crash into the other team on purpose to try to block them from flying through uh, flying through your goal. One drone on each team has special markings and flags on it. And if that drone gets through the other team's goal, that's a point. And everybody else is a defender. So it's very fast-paced, uh, very exciting. But uh, what's most important is that these students have to build the drones from scratch. They have to program them using open source technology and learn to fly and maintain drones as a team. So we're really mirroring uh, the best practices in aviation and and teaching them kind of how the aviation community uh, works together. That is really cool. So I watched uh, a bit of the videos on on the U.S. drone soccer website. And I, I just kept going back and watching it over and over again because I thought this is, this is the coolest thing I've seen in a pretty long time. I was surprised by how small the space is, actually, right, when, when the comp, where the competition is held. That kind of caught me a little bit off guard. Yeah, in South Korea and Japan, they're actually playing a much larger version. The court is maybe a volleyball size, 40 feet by 80 feet long and, and 40 feet tall. And they're playing with beach ball sized drone balls. Um, but we believe here that, you know, for high school students and, and middle schools, that the smaller category of the international sizes uh, is much better suited for the classroom and the school. The arena is 10 feet by 20 feet. So you can fit you know, several of these on a gymnasium floor and uh, really engage a lot of students um, for relatively low cost. So that's the benefit of the smaller size. Uh, but all the flights take place inside of this net uh, that contains the whole space. So it's relatively safe uh, and and relatively um, accessible to be able to put this in any community center, you know, in your in your city. So we'll be training high school students around the country in this program, and we'll probably be selecting from those top teams to move up in in their weight class and fly the big drones for the U.S. drone soccer team. So a a couple of things off of that. Um, One, I'm imagining there's a bit of an advantage with the generation because they've grown up gaming, they've grown up, right, with controllers, and that's that's second nature to to most of them. So one, I think there's that advantage. But two, what's the offshoot of this? Where, Where in your mind is your teaching and educating these young people and giving them these these special skills, where do they take it next? Well, there's uh, a lot of opportunities for furthering their pilot training. Uh, this is a, a easy stepping stone into getting their Part 107 remote pilot certificate, as well as their uh, traditional uh, pilot's license. Some of our students uh, you know, that, that we share with Wings Over the Rockies are, are pursuing those scholarships that are offered through Wings and other programs and are getting their, their pilot's licenses now. These are opportunities that students don't know about, and they can't pursue opportunities if they've never been engaged prior to 16 years old. So I think that that's a big benefit, you know, but also on the technology side, uh, I read an article today that you know, there's such an emphasis in coding and programming that there's actually a massive shortage in electrical engineers. So all these tech companies don't have the, the hard skills 
the technology skills to build it. And so we're trying to provide that pathway to get students into you know, aviation and aerospace careers that are hardware focused, like your aircraft mechanics, avionics technicians. Um, there's a really valuable skills in how to you know, put these electronics together, man, uh, maintain them. And you know, all these companies are launching their advanced air mobility efforts to deliver pizzas right to your door with a drone. But the workforce doesn't exist to maintain that fleet yet. And our students are going to be that workforce. That's awesome. That's amazing. What a great introduction, especially being able to do it at such a young age. You know, it was interesting. Uh, we read that in 2021, the global esports market was valued at over a billion dollars. That's phenomenal to me. So two questions, really. Uh, tell us a bit about the sport and how it's developing. And then what kind of you know, skills are required. You mentioned a few of them, but maybe a little more detail. Yeah, you know, Wings Over the Rockies was one of our first uh, test site locations uh, last year, along with several other schools in Colorado. And we just opened enrollment in January for programs around the country. Um, it's It's been exciting to see the adoption. We have, we'll have statewide leagues in Colorado, New York, Ohio, and Alabama, at least uh, in the fall. Plenty of opportunities for all these new programs to begin participating. Again, this is a tool that can reach into communities that don't have the ability to fly. So we did a, a an outreach program with the U.S. consulate in Lagos, Nigeria, for uh, girl-led teams there. Um, there was eight eight programs or eight schools that were going to be accepted in into this drone soccer challenge. A um, hundred, what was it, seventy-two schools applied for that, which is really surprising. And, and I went to South Africa just a month ago, which has the worst youth unemployment in the world, and uh, did a program for students in a pretty rough neighborhood there outside of Cape Town. Um, so just the exposure to the industry and the skills and the ability for them to, you know, see a path. Um, I think it's really powerful. And the, the fact that it's wrapped in a fun game um, just makes it something that the kids enjoy doing and keeps them engaged. Kyle, are, are are drones um, on the curriculum at all down at the academy? The Air Force Academy actually has the um, uh, UAS Research Center there. Explain what UAS is for the audience. UAS stands for. Right. So UAS is is unmanned uh, aircraft systems. The FAA has recommended that that be uncrewed aircraft systems because uh, <laughs> you know unmanned is is an antiquated term, but UAS is um, obviously are a big concern for the military. There is a lot of interest there and uh, we're pretty early on, but we're excited to be working with you know, some of those organizations. Well, like you come to Wings and we start with, you know, you, you fly them and then you learn how to build them and program them, and then you compete them in drone soccer. Uh, explain a little bit after they get their 107, you know, what are some of the jobs that a, a student can get even at the age of 16? Yeah, 16, uh, you can be a pilot flying airplanes at the same time you're learning to drive a car, get your pilot's license and driver's license at the same time. I think most students don't know that. Um, but an easier uh, way to get started is your remote pilot certificate, uh, which is known as Part 107. That's the laws that govern uh, drones in the country. Uh, so you get your certificate and that allows you to get paid to fly drones. The starting rate uh, for a 16-year-old drone pilot is about $50 an hour, which is really good money uh, these days. Drones are used from everything uh, from videography. You know, every action sequence you see, 
in a Netflix movie, um, from sports broadcasting, uh, you name it. Those are all shot by drones uh, flying, in some cases, some very expensive cameras on them. Uh, but in a lot of cases, just using that that DJI drone you see at Walmart uh, is catching some of those shots. Uh, but beyond videography, uh, here in Colorado, we have our hailstorms, uh, you know, when these afternoon thunderstorms come rolling through. So the insurance companies will send drone pilots to take pictures of everyone's roofs and, and send that in, uh, monitoring construction sites instead of sending somebody up on a harness to climb a, uh, a building or a, a skeleton of a building. You just have a drone, take the pictures you need. Um, from search and rescue to looking for forest fires to finding lost pets uh, to doing 3D mapping of topography and, and some really interesting uh, applications there. There's a lot that drones can do, pretty much anything that you need to see from the sky. A lot of times it's cheaper to fly a drone than it is to hire a helicopter or an airplane or you know something like that. Well, you know, from your vantage point of being involved with it, as long as you have been, where, where does it go? Where's the next corner, right? Where Where is it that you think, man, when we get to there, that is going to be pretty exciting. Five years ago, drone racing did not exist. Uh, there was two guys in Australia that put cameras on their drones and went racing through the woods. And that just sparked this excitement uh, for, for drone racing and Fast forward a few years, it's on ESPN and NBC and in the World Games. So it's a pretty fast moving area. I do think that we will have drone delivery and and what is essentially a, a flying cars, but there'll be quadcopter type drones. You know, you call an Uber and you're going to call Uber quadcopter and it'll come pick you up. <laughs> so, I, it is interesting. There's a lot of uh, regulatory concerns, obviously, and safety concerns, but I, the industry is just charging ahead. You know, but we just landed last year a uh, drone helicopter on Mars, and it's still flying around. Uh, we're going to, in 2028, I think we're landing a, a flying drone on um, Titan. The, I think it's Saturn's moon. We're going to try to fly around in the thin atmosphere there. So there's a lot that can be done with drones. Uh, I think it's very exciting. And of course, it's a big part of the battlefield these days as well. I mean, you know, going forward, you can't uh, quite engage uh, the uh, the enemy so much if uh, if if you don't have drones available. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big part of just the world we live in. You know, we had to work very closely with the FBI and FAA for the World Games to make sure everything could be done legally and safely with airplanes flying overhead, uh, you know, very close to the the Birmingham airport. But yeah, there's obviously a lot of continuing security concerns, privacy concerns when it comes to drones. And um, I think it's important for any listeners out there to to recognize that, you know, flying a drone is like driving a car. Uh, all the same rules apply. You have to be licensed and you have to have a FAA trust certificate in your pocket just to be able to fly in your backyard. Most people don't know that. It's a very simple certificate for recreational flying, uh, but you have to have it. And then even though you have that, there's a lot of places in the sky that are very busy. And uh, before you fly outdoors, you always need to check the FAA before you fly app because there's a lot of places you can't fly ever. You can't fly within five miles of an airport, you can't fly in state national parks, and it's actually not many places in major cities that you can legally fly. So it's important that we help educate students in the industry applications of drones, but also keep them out of trouble. And, um, you know, here in the next few years, who knows 
what applications will be important. And I think these students will be the ones solving those problems. You know, as a as somebody who uh, flew your, yourself flew in combat, you know, flew a lot of years active duty. Uh, any of this at all make you a little bit sad that oh man, they're taking us out of the planes? Uh, I don't think you'll ever take the human element out of flying. All you're doing is just changing where the where the uh, pilot seat is, whether it's on the ground or in the sky. Yeah. Um, no, I, I successfully avoided drones my entire career. Um, several of them very nearly in midair <laughs> as, <laughs> as we came pretty close a couple times uh, in theater to running over some drones with our very big plane. Um, yeah, no, it, it it's... It's always changing, you know, and, and this is the same discussion that uh, was being had with automation in aircraft when yeah. they were adding autopilots to planes. Yep. yep. So, you know, young people listening to this, hopefully uh, they've been encouraged to give it a listen because it might be something they're interested in. Uh, what's your advice to them? How do you, how, what's the first step for them to, to make their way to the, to the drone world? I mean, the first step is just to ask your school district. Uh, so many districts have fantastic career and technical education opportunities, especially for those juniors and seniors to get real professional licenses um, in the school to get your remote pilot's license. And some districts have pilot programs to, to go fly real airplanes. I highly recommend you uh, ask and look. There are also community programs um, available. So Young Eagles offers a free flight in an aircraft uh, for ages eight to 18. You get your 20 minutes in a small aircraft in the in the co-pilot seat to see what that's like. There's Civil Air Patrol and some other kind of military-affiliated programs. Um, oftentimes, scouts and others have great programs. And then there's always local air and space museums like you know Wings Over the Rockies that do fantastic programs. So there's lots of ways to get involved. If you're interested in being a pilot, look around. You know, and, and what's really interesting is that now airlines making a push to create pathways for high school students. You know, United Airlines is one of them that is offering scholarships and flying opportunities for teenagers. And if you complete that program, you're on a path to being an airline pilot. There's great opportunities. For me, it was space camp. When I was 12 years old, uh, went to space camp and that, you know, fast forward and, and then I was an Air Force pilot and I, I really do credit space camp for putting me on that path. Thank you, Kyle Sanders, for joining us. That was really cool, you know, playing this game and how it resembled a little Harry Potter in a way. What were your takeaways, John? Just knowing that, you know, we're dealing with a new technology that's exciting and, and it carries all the facets to the military. and sports and the, the chance for young people to even start working and getting paid to be a drone pilot if they get their FAA Part 107 license. Yeah, and again, Kyle, thank you so much. What a great opportunity. Man, I wish they had drone soccer when I was in high school. Of course, they didn't even have drones when I was in high school. U.S. drone soccer is using team sports as a way to get young people involved with building and flying drones. but. Drones today are much more than a sport. To learn more, we're going to talk with Don Zoldi. Now, Don's had a fascinating career. 25 years as a military attorney working in the United States Air Force, an internationally recognized expert on uncrewed aircraft systems and advanced air mobility law and policy. She is the founder of P3 Tech Consulting and hosts the Dawn of Drones podcast. 
Well, with, with all that, thank goodness she had time for us today. <laughs> really delighted to uh, to have Don with us here today, Don Zoli. How are you? Great. How are you? Uh, doing very, very good. Thank you. And I I got to tell you, I mean, I've, I've met you. We've, we've casually chatted. But when I started to read prepping for this, good Lord, the things you've done in, in a in a pretty, pretty aggressive career. But every bit of it, I would imagine, just as fun as the thing before, right? Absolutely. It's been quite a ride. All right. I'm seeing Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, then I'm seeing a, a career Air Force. And you'll walk me through some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Supreme Court is, is that's just my bar license. So I'm, yeah. I'm still a licensed attorney. Yep. And I joined the Air Force JAG Corps back, oh my gosh, I'm dating myself here in 1993. So I spent 25 years on active duty uh, as a JAG, which is a military lawyer. Yep and retired in uh, March of 2018 as a colonel out of the Air Force Academy here. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I had created my company, P3 Tech Consulting, uh, about drone law and policy in October of 19, when I was still a federal employee, and was able to really grow that, uh, you know, when I was at the Center for Character and Leadership Development, because it was like, you know, leadership by day, drones by night, weekends, every other waking <laughs> moment, and uh, just jump full time into the business uh, in February of last year, 2021. And drone wasn't waiting for you to catch up. I mean, that time you were spending, right, trying to get into that, that drone law. I mean, drone was already racing down the runway, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I kind of caught the bug, if you will, uh, about drones, got really passionate about it when I was still on active duty. Yeah. Um, in around 2012, it was um, when I was at Air Combat Command, I was the chief of operations law there and, um, you know, was advising on not only aircraft accidents that involve drones, but also, you know, how we how the military should be operating in domestic airspace. Because we had been like those remote pilots at Creech and all these other locations had been operating, you know, for 10 years in, in combat and they just weren't used to flying in domestic airspace. And so I really got into, frankly, I drafted the DOD policies at the time and not just for the Air Force, for the whole Department of Defense mm -hmm. and uh, just got super passionate about it. Just really love it. You know, getting involved in the early stages on the law side. Maybe share a little bit of the insights. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, what kind of laws need to be worked on, written, you know, followed to be able to match this technology. Yeah, absolutely. So what was happening, you know, kind of in the early days, and if you if you recall, it wasn't until 2016 that the FAA published the Part 107 rule, which allows for commercial, right, uh, ubiquitous commercial operations with drones. Um, but, you know, a couple of years before that, a bunch of states were just passing these drone laws and, and they're primarily, primarily focused on law enforcement, prohibiting law enforcement from using drones to either gather evidence or collect information unless there was some exception in the law that they were giving. And it was just a crazy time to jump into it because all of these laws were popping up. Um, but the three big things, um, General Barry, that pop out as you think about you know, drones and laws and what's really important are those three things that people care about uh, when mm. they think about drones and that's privacy, safety and security, mm. right? And so 
when you think about the whether it's a law, regulation, or policy, those I call them like the three pillars. And those are the three pillars really, you know, in the DOD, Department of Defense for intelligence oversight. Uh, you know, you're always looking at these things and, and those principles translate very well into the civilian sector as well for, uh, you know, commercial operators. That's amazing. Well, you know, as an old fighter pilot in the old days, you know, we carried weapons underneath, you got missiles and you got bombs and things. Now they're talking about going to war with your fighter aircraft and this new fighter design with maybe two flying drones on your wing. Well, it'd be hard for me to conceive of that. Never mind your other wingmen who've got drones and how you're going to handle it. What kind of, um, you know, legal issues do we think of? What are, what are some of those issues? Well, you know, there, there's, of course, legal issues. There's operational issues, and they're, you know, they're different. Um, I don't really see any legal issues with with having those wingmen. I think it would be more for folks like you, General Barry, to, to figure out operationally how this works. But I could see a lot of benefits to having drones, you know, instead of having to, you know, relay information from an AWACS or another, you know, large aircraft with the right sensors on board, you know, that that drone could be providing so much information right into your cockpit um, that could really help, I would think, in your operations, right? So, and also they can be weaponized. We know this, right? We've been using weaponized drones on the battlefield for a long time. Uh, and so kind of protecting, uh, pro providing that additional security and protection, I think is another great use. General Barry, what's really interesting, and I'm sure you've been watching it, is what's happening in Ukraine mm -hmm. right now. And frankly, it's, it's unprecedented when you think about drones because you know, when you and I think about drones, you're thinking about the drones that might be your wingman, right, in, in your uh, in your fighter jet, uh, or might maybe your might your brain might go to a, a big Reaper or Predator drone, right, that we all know they've been using overseas for a long time now. Uh, but what's happening in Ukraine is commercial drones, toy mm -hmm. drones, and what's really unique, you know, that in in of itself is not necessarily unique because. Frankly, it's been mostly the bad guys that have been using those, um, you know, like in Iraq and Afghanistan, whether surveillance or dropping grenades and things like this. Um, but what's really unprecedented, I think, is happening right now with drones on the battlefield is that outside of military channels, commercial companies, manufacturers are partnering with nonprofit organizations. They're going to the front lines almost. They're training combatants. And these commercial drones are being used in, in battle mm. outside of the outside of the DOD, mm -hmm. you know, outside of, you know, organized military forces. I mean, you've probably read about the story of, of the young kid that used his toy drone to like <laughs> blow up a, a, you know, right, a column of a Russian tanks. Mm -hmm. Just think about that for a second, because, you know, General Barry and I are pretty well versed in the law of war. I, you know, because you have to be if you're in the Air Force and if you're going to be in combat or even non-combat operations. Um, but these companies are not. These kids are not. And I, and I think if there's just uh, significant implications uh, to the law of war, which is, by the way, everybody out there, when you think about laws, you know, Rick mentioned, you know, international law, the law of war it falls under international law. It's international humanitarian law that's been built up over time, not just through custom, but also through treaties, which mm -hmm. is really the supreme law of the land in the United States. 
um, but things like the Geneva Conventions. And, and that governs how, you know, on the battlefield, uh, you know, mem- military members or combatants are supposed to be operating. Mm-hmm. And my point is, these operations are occurring, and I'm wondering where the law of war is, is in all of this. Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting to watch from afar. Yeah, yeah because actually, when you start talking about, like, we've discussed this over years, but, you know, you program a drone to be autonomous and with AI to seek out targets, not having a human uh, giving the consent for the launch of the weapon. Uh, what's some of those thoughts going on right now? Yeah, so the DOD has been very forward-leaning when it comes to artificial intelligence, and in particular on the policy governing that. Uh, And uh, right now we're not really at the stage of a human completely out of the loop, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of your Terminator scenario, uh, which I think is what comes up in most people's minds when when you think about that. Um, So many significant challenges, General Barry, when you think about even just autonomous vehicles, which is you know, not fully autonomous, semi-autonomous, right? Mm-hmm. A person who's been really writing and researching and speaking about this that I, I admire is Dr. Missy, Missy Cummings out of Duke. Um, mm. She is uh, not only an engineer, she's retired Navy uh, pilot, uh, just really brilliant. And she talks about how you know artificial intelligence is pretty good when you have a, a very complete data set that it can then, you know, kind of ingest and, you know, uh, the algorithms can then interpret to take an action. But in a dynamic scenario mm-hmm. where, where things are changing, things are moving, you know, God forbid you and I'm sure General Barry, you're familiar, you know, you, you know, you have a target and, you know, let's just hypothetically say it's a gas station, uh, right? You, you've got your, your bomb on target, the laser is pointed, uh, you're ready to hit go and a little kid runs into the picture right because we all know there's pictures we see movies like this Mm -hmm. uh they're actually pretty accurate um in that scenario like you're not going to hit that button probably it just depends on what the rules of engagement are but most likely you're not going to hit that button and you know will the ai be responsive enough to to do that and i don't think we're there and and i know dr cummings that like i said she's written about this and uh, she's very much against right now, at least with the state of the technology, uh, employing these kind of um, artificial, you know, artificial intelligence to that level on the battlefield for that reason. Yeah. Excellent point and excellent discussion. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, sometimes technology can get ahead of us before we actually get to the point where we can realize the full implications of it. And uh, that is one of them. You know, we have to be very deliberate on how we go through that. Absolutely. So, Rick. Over to you. Yeah, thanks. I'm just uh, I, I'm just curious as somebody who's been uh, close to this whole drone evolution, Don, like you have been. Um, still, a lot that can be done moving forward, right? We're nowhere near even understanding. I, I don't think completely what what we can accomplish with these vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've been talking a lot about battlefield applications, but you know, on the commercial side, you know. What, I, what I've said before, and I'll just say it again, ironically, if COVID-19 and this pandemic has taught us one thing, it's taught us that drones can really be used for good because 
they are the ultimate social distancer. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about, you know, drone deliveries and how that's exponentially grown over the last two years during this pandemic, it's not a coincidence, right? People realize like, all right, we're not leaving our house. We're not going to the store, but I can order this thing and have it drop in my backyard. Um, So, you know, (laughs) the drones for good stories, I mean, I could talk all day long about this, you know, whether it's precision agriculture, uh, you know, and using drones to detect even, you know, we have an incredible uh, company here in Colorado called Black Swift Technologies. The, one of the first things they put out was a water, uh, a water moisture sensor uh, on their drones that they create, the S2 drone. And, you know, just, just the idea that you can fly a drone over a field uh, with the right sensor on it, it can determine, okay, yep, you should water here, not water there. Uh, you know, that's just one simple application, but so many things where, you know, using humans, we always say the dull, dirty, dangerous jobs. Uh, you know, I think whether it's construction site inspections, critical infrastructure inspections, security, uh, they're now integrating drones with these, what they're calling QUGB, quadruped, uncrewed <laughs> ground vehicles. So the little dro- the drone dogs. Oh yeah. <laughs> around critical infrastructure facilities, the dogs are doing the ground patrols for security. And it once it senses something, right? It'll send a message back to a command center. The the drone will be deployed, and now you've got a bird's eye view, literally, and a and the ground view. I mean, just when you think about it, the use cases are endless. You know, I'm the guy that the whole concept of drones on the battlefield, I get that. But my groceries landing on my front porch from a drone still, I just (laughs) shake my head like, what in the world? It's just, it's, there's so much. You know, it's it's not really a stretch when, especially, like I said, during COVID, people, I think, were very used to going online, ordering groceries, doing DoorDash. Yep. You just think about DoorDash like being like door air dash. Yeah. You know, what's the difference between some kid bringing it to your doorstep, ringing the bell and dropping it there yep. than having the drone just drop yep. it there? Yep. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so I think that is our future. I think it's coming coming to a town near you soon. Like, so now we go. <laughs> like a great movie. Now we go yeah. to, <laughs> now we go to a, a electric vertical takeoff and landing, right? All that stuff. Uh, where, where's the future taking us? Hey, I want the taxi out in front of my yard. Pick me up. Take me to the, with the drone. Take me to my restaurant. Bring me home. Okay. That's what I want. Well, right. that would be ideal. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I would love one of those uh, eVTOLs to take me. You know, over Route 70 when I want to go skiing yeah. and jet right out to Breckenridge so I don't have to sit on the highway for two, yeah. three hours. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, like think about ideal use cases like yeah. that. But where, where are we with those? You know, I was just talking to a, a company that's, that's looking at some things. And uh, there's a really great organization called the Vertical Flight Society, VFS. Hmm. Uh, so, and they put out a directory. You can Google it. Um, there's well over 700 different uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing designs out there. And they're in all stages of production, right? Some are actually prototypes, some are just like on paper, um, but they track this and and uh, it's a very dynamic list and it keeps growing. I, every time I turn around, it's a bigger number. Um, you know, and what we've seen really over the last year or so is a lot of investment money pouring in there too. Mm. You know, the thing that blows me away is when 
we have the fireworks issue, you know, about the fires here in Colorado. And now you see these drones doing these amazing things that just unbelievable. You know, hundreds and hundreds of drones spelling words, making figures. We've seen them in the Olympics and things like that. That is a powerful computer technology combined with drone technology. But let me just ask this last question. What is your dream, you know, hope, vision for the future of drones? Wow, my hope, dream, and vision for the future of drones is that they will be so ubiquitous. It would be like, you know, using your cell phone, mm -hmm. you know, um, like I feel like that that we, we could get there. When I was uh, at the PX4 Developers Summit in Austin, Texas, a couple of weeks back, number one, they did have a drone light show there in the mm -hmm. skies of Austin, yes. which was pretty amazing. The company was called Uvify. But I also met a guy at one of the networking receptions that was making a little selfie drone. It's like maybe three inches by three inches, super cute. And I was thinking, you make that a little smaller. You put this right, you have a little launch pad right off your iPhone and now you've got a little selfie drone. So it's not just your iPhone, but you can get some footage from the air. Yeah, I could see kids. You like I could see that happening. Yeah. I really could. Wow. Absolutely incredible. Wow. wow. What, a, what a future. You know, good. And 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 with this, Don comes, uh, you know, OK, we, there's going to need to be more legal expertise on you know, the little yeah, selfie drones. Definite job security. Yeah, no doubt about it. Absolutely right. You know, if, if your audience is interested in kind of keeping up to date and learning about these issues with drones and advanced air mobility and uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing, I would recommend they follow me on social yep. media, LinkedIn in particular, okay. Twitter. Uh, my website is P3 Tech Consulting, okay. you know, because I also host several podcasts myself, oh. The Dawn of Drones. Uh, which is every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time uh, on Drone Life. Okay. Uh, and uh, full crew and full tilt. Tilt is a leadership talk uh, with technology leaders. And uh, full crew is our newscast, but it's all about technology. Nice. And we talk a lot about drones and the latest news. Perfect. Okay, well, I want to see that shingle on outside your house is drone lawyer. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, Rick. Perfect. Close out. Don, thank you so much for your time today and, and your expertise. It really was fun having you on today. Well, thank you both. Yeah, of course. Great. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Don, for joining us today. Another amazing episode of Behind the Wings. You know, speaking with her, I, I think what I loved about Don truly is her passion for what she does. Um, you know, the number of things that she does, but, but her interpretation of the law and, and how it affects even to the outer reaches of space. I mean, talk about somebody who's got her fingers in a lot of things. Don was, was pretty remarkable. John, how about you? Well, you know, when we talk about things that are current today, space, we have space lawyers. Now we have drone lawyers because the implications on the legal and the political and even the practical implications are phenomenal. Things we haven't even thought of. And that's what I really love about Don's presentation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're right there, John. Good, good summation. Well, that's going to do it, folks, for episode four. Thanks for listening to Behind the Wings. Be sure to visit www.wingsmuseum.org to join the conversation and access the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode of Behind the Wings. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe and leave a review. It helps us a lot, and we really do appreciate it. Don't forget, we have a special offer just for our podcast listeners. 
next time I'm going to call you podcast fans. Use the code SEASON1 for 20% off your Wings Over the Rockies membership. We'll see you fans next time right here on Behind the Wings.